Welcome, friends. This is Historical AF. I'm Kina. I'm Howard. And I'm Jess Dory. We're some <laughs> history podcasters here to deliver some morbid and historical nuggets you never knew you needed in your ear holes. This is Adventions Part 2. Yes. Da, da, da. I'm so excited. If you guys don't remember who this is, it's plotting through the presidents. They are back. Thank you for having us back. Yes, thank you. It's good to be back. We thought you'd never call. <laughs> yeah. Of course I would. <laughs> it just dawned on me. I was like, oh, presidents have invented things. <laughs> to the Twitter I go. <laughs> I'm glad this worked out. And in my story, I mentioned presidents, I think, like four times that I did that oh for my you. Uh-oh. <laughs> it was a happy accident. But I was like, it fits. <laughs> Howard knows how to make it work. So yeah, Tim Gunn taught me a long time ago how to make it work. <laughs> <laughs> so remind everybody about your podcast. And what have you been yeah. up to since the last time you were here? Of course. Yeah, we co-host a podcast called Plotting Through the Presidents. And we've got two bingeable seasons out now where we take deep, irreverent dives into uh, lesser known stories about the early American presidents and founders and their families. We dig into myths and mysteries and scandals and just kind of bring some of those weird personalities to life. Hell yeah. Yeah. I sit there and I listen because I'm not privy to these stories ahead of time. So I am the surrogate to the audience and I just take in the stories as they come. Yeah, Jess brings out the best in me and asks the right questions or the worst and adds um, a much needed perspective to everything. Why, thank you, love. Aw, I love that. (laughs) You guys are adorable. My husband probably would never podcast with me, but it's okay. (laughs) Oh, well, I was roped in a little bit. (laughs) I mean, I. You suggested yourself at the same time. <laughs> we did think about other co-hosts for a little while. Yeah. And then finally, we we're like, let's just make it you. <laughs> <laughs> we have a Discord channel for Patreon. And somebody said something earlier about like, if you ever need a break, just have Zeke do it. And I was like, well, that would be hilarious. And so now I need to figure out a way to rope him into this for maybe like a car <laughs> episode where he can be like my translator because I know nothing about there you mechanics. Go. And he uh, can build a car without. Listen, he <laughs> bought this car, he gutted it, and then just rebuilt it with stuff he made. Like he would weld all the parts together to make new parts and then wired it all without any guide or well, instructions. Nope. And no, nope. I, I don't know how to do such that. A That's cool like. Skill set. That is so cool. I, I don't even have that function in my brain. I, I'm still trying to figure out Lego sets. You know, like my yeah. six-year-old and I are trying to figure out how to follow those directions, yeah, <laughs> let alone weld things. Oh, wow. It, he uses parts of his brain I don't think exist in mine, but it just blows my mind. I'm like, I don't know what that is, but I'm really impressed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you should have him on and, and he'll like be just like Marissa Tomei and my cousin Vinny and like just spouting all these facts and like it'll be awesome. <laughs> yeah, I need to make that work. It just, sounds the- like he might be an inventor. Yes. Yeah. It's really <laughs> funny because he has this little Ford Ranger and he gutted it too and made a race car. And so he'll go to the track and he'll just kind of like put up in this old Ranger. It's like an 86. And then people will be like, oh, I'm going to beat it because they have these new cars, have all this turbo and stuff. And then he just 
leaves them at the finish line and people's oh mouths are agape and everybody's like, what the fuck is in that thing? And it's <laughs> so it's like, funny to me. <laughs> I built it. <laughs> yeah. And I always try to get a camera of everybody at the same time being like, what the hell just happened? Because it's so fast. But oh my gosh, I just, uh, I don't understand it. I appreciate it. But I don't impressive. understand. I can't build anything. I don't know. No, me neither. I can talk. I would like to weld though. Fire seems fun, but other than that, yeah. I, yeah. I would burn myself yeah. so fast. I don't think I don't think I'd be good with anything that spews fire. Yeah, yeah. We put the little metal Hanukkah candle back, and you like you get the bottom of it like hot, oh, yeah. and then that makes it stick in, and that's almost like welding. <laughs> I learned that trick from many many generations of Jews. Yeah. <laughs> How to get that candle to stick? Yeah, that's oh. the closest I get to efficiency with fire. I don't even do fire in the fireplace. Howard has to do that. Oh, it's funny you bring up the menorah. My sister just officially became Jewish. She just oh, yeah. Last time we were on, you said she was on that. Yeah. Road. She's official <laughs> now. So Congratulations to your I sister. I get to go to my first temple thing. Oh. Service? I don't know. I don't, I'm, a, I'm a bad Jew in that way. I do all the food and the holidays, but I, I don't go to temple. Or- there's so many of them. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of them. We're constantly eating. <laughs> we just do the, the like high ones or like the, the fun. We do the, the main ones. ones. The big food ones. Mm-hmm. The big food ones. Yeah, I do dig that there's a lot of food and wine. <laughs> yes. Yeah. A lot of wine and bottles. Oh. Wine. Yeah. On my glass of it. <laughs> yeah, we are yeah. drinking. The Federalist wine with Ooh. Lincoln on the front, and it's a red blend. Oh, nice. Yeah. They I make some good wines. That. We drank the Federalist last time, too, right? We might have, maybe. I think that we did. I love a good theme. <laughs> <laughs> well, do we want to just jump into it and talk about some presidents? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So, for inventions, I want to talk about a president who invented some things, kind of. I'm talking about Thomas Jefferson. What do you mean he kind of invented some things? You'll see. Um, (laughs) Third president of the U.S., author of the Declaration of Independence, and a hugely hypocritical slave owner with a secret family. He was such a bastion of contradictions that the historical consensus at this point seems to be, well, yes, he did good things, and he was also terrible, and that's why he's just like America. So, yeah. Yeah. Interesting, yeah. He kind of invented a couple of things that we'll get to, but he wasn't so much an inventor as he was a guy with a lot of time on his hands to tinker and design things for his own convenience. Hmm. Like if you walked into his home, Monticello, you wouldn't look around and say, wow, look at that invention. But you might say, what have you done and why? (laughs) So Monticello, it was kind of like Rick Moranis's house in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids with the Rube Goldberg like toaster thing and gadgets everywhere. And it was also kind of like Alicia Silverstone's closet in Clueless. Oh, yeah. He had this cool clothes rack that one visitor described like this. In a recess at the foot of his bed was a horse with 48 projecting hands on which hung his coats and waistcoats and which he could turn around with a long stick, a knickknack that Jefferson was fond of showing with many other little mechanical inventions. Huh. So, I don't know. I just think of like Frankenstein for some reason. I I don't know. He's just his home is Frankenstein pieces, but out of furniture. He was a bit of a a mad scientist. Yeah. Like this thing like this, it would probably look like a coat rack with a bunch of sticks. 
But I'd like to think it looked like a real like horse up on two legs with like 48 <laughs> human hands coming out of it. Like a Kierkegaard kind of. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So if you do art for this episode, like keep that in mind. That's, that's what I want to see. That's, I got to make that nightmare fuel for everybody. To visualize. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and also it was, it was at the foot of his bed and it's like, I don't know. How do you, that hey, is horrifying. Welcome that, to my home. Yeah. Let me show you. Let me show you. <laughs> I don't even sleep well when our desk is messy. I can't imagine. Yeah. I can't imagine hooks coming out of the front of my bed. That's just, <sighs> yeah, I think he, he probably liked nightmares. Probably. <laughs> Maybe he also had, he had French doors <laughs> that when you opened one of them, the other one would open automatically. And people's oh. minds were blown by the sorcery. How did he do it? It's Elijah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess in the 1950s, when they were remodeling Monticello, they found a rod and pulley system underneath the floorboards. What? Oh. Yeah. Bill Bryson talks about this in his book, At Home. And he says, like, the biggest takeaway from historians at Monticello about this was, why would Jefferson spend the time and money building something so elaborate that doesn't really do that much that's just how he worked what what was it exactly what was he pulling what was the it was it was french doors you opened one and the other one opened automatically oh so the pulley system went under the house yeah it went underneath the floorboards yeah wow okay and the work all that went into that just for half of a door to open i don't know well i sometimes think about the accomplishments i would make if i didn't watch television do you know yeah. what I mean? You, when you don't have the certain, you know, mind-numbing oh, yeah. entertainment, the things totally. that you can accomplish. If I've we didn't watch TV, so much more with my life, <laughs> and we had hundreds of slaves, yes, what we could, could, yeah, yes, that's, yeah. that's really the key to his free time and everything he did. Good point. Yeah, but no, you you got a point about Netflix. I mean, he spent his time on this kind of stuff. He was so bad at money. I mean, he was great at spending it, mm-hmm. but he was always in debt. And it doesn't make sense. He was really good at math. He understood the concept that things cost money, but he just couldn't reconcile that idea with ever not having what he wanted. Well, that's um, interesting. I didn't know that about him. Oh, yeah. Terrible. Fine. Like if he didn't have the free labor and I mean, it's free, but he did have to pay, I guess, to like feed them and, and different things. But it was still like he wasn't paying labor wages. He He had these people to do all these things. And if he didn't have it, it's like, I imagine a business like a restaurant where people stop coming and say, and there's no money coming in for like a year, but you still have all these employees Mm -hmm. and you're the boss and you're just like, okay, let's make the register walk. And that you, you know, people have to build that to happen. I don't know. (laughs) That was a very interesting analogy. I just, (laughs) That's how my mind works. It took an unexpected turn. I didn't yeah, it did. It, <laughs> it sounds like he was pretty entitled. I mean, he was entitled to, he felt entitled to that free time. Well, yeah, for sure. And he felt like whatever he thought up was important enough to act on and to mm-hmm. divert resources to, to right. the detriments of whatever Everybody. else. Yeah. He probably uh, was that guy. Like, I am a genius. He's going to be awesome. Yeah, Just totally. his, do it. And yeah. his family told him that from birth, you know? <laughs> so they raised him as a genius. And he remember his first memory? What was his first memory of a slave lifting him off a pillow onto a horse or something? Yeah, basically. I think putting him onto a horse on a pillow. That's his first memory. Pillow. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, the slavery was just ingrained in him. 
Yeah, he wow. he never had to do get much. on a horse by himself. I mean, eventually, I think he got on a horse by himself. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Picks or it didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> One cool machine that he didn't invent, but he did improve on, was a polygraph. Oh. Not not the lie detector kind. Mm-hmm. He would have lit that up though. Um, <laughs> this polygraph, it was a machine that attached to your pen and it made an exact copy of what you were writing. That's really cool. Right? Nice. That's, I need that in life. I still need that. I mean, we have like computers and stuff, but you, <laughs> when you're writing with your hand, I guess. Oh yeah, that's mean. true. It'd still be cool to use like, yeah. Yeah. It copies. It's writing next to you as you're writing. Yeah. So he could write to all of his ladies and all of his... <laughs> important people and he wouldn't have to i mean they always kept like a draft copy of their letters mm. oh, that's um, why. so this would save the time of doing that by hand and that's where they're saying here's this for your records have a copy of this for your records sure mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah that's where that came from mm-hmm. look into that <laughs> yeah some things he designed for both like convenience and to avoid actually seeing the people that he enslaved because, you know, it can be awkward when you have company over and they notice that the people serving them look a lot like you. And they did notice that. I don't understand. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, some of his slaves were his own children. Oh, I guess. Yeah. I see. That's what you're implying. Okay. And they, there was a strong resemblance to the point where people commented on it. Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. But Jefferson built dumbwaiters on both sides of his fireplace to have wine sent up from the cellar. And he built this lazy Susan type thing. So that his slaves could bring everyone's dinner. They'd go up this steep little staircase to a little nook. They'd put the dinner on this thing. They'd turn it and it would come out the other side on the dining room. And then the guests could put their dirty plates back on it and turn it around like magic. That reminds me of those little places you put your urine in a doctor's office where you put it in and you flip it around and then you flip it back and it was given to the lab. Do you remember those? I don't think I've ever done that. You haven't ever given urine to a lab through a wall? Yeah, I have. <laughs> I have. Is that a woman only thing? I, I mean, can that, relate to that. Is this yeah. the I shit have, women have to go through. I have given your. I have given urine to plenty of like doctors, <laughs> office people, and it's always been very awkward. <laughs> it's it's never involved a wall and a slidey thing. No. It's there's oh. a little lazy Susan with a with a door, and you put it in. Right, Kina, this is happening yeah. to you. Yeah, yeah. And you yeah. close it, and then you walk away, and you just hope the right people get it on the other side. <laughs> okay, there are two possibilities. One, every doctor's <laughs> office I've been to has had this, and I didn't know about it. <laughs> that might be a possibility. Um, that's probably the only possibility because every time I've come out of that little bathroom, like awkwardly, like, where do I put this? <laughs> yeah, that's embarrassing. I don't think they make those much anymore. Because I've definitely had the awkward walk of shame as well. The urine, but yeah, maybe Jefferson spite like spurred that invention because it was really nice. Although it was really nerve wracking for me because I would keep checking, like, is it still there? Is it still there? I would look because I felt like, did the lab get it? And sometimes it was gone, sometimes it was there. And I just walked away hoping that whoever was supposed to get it get. But this is I have anxiety. Are so. you sure you weren't at a bank? <laughs> I'm pretty sure, unless some bank teller somewhere has my urine. <laughs> Speaking of spinning things, there's one invention that I really want to talk about today. Uh-huh. Thomas Jefferson is credited with inventing the swivel chair. feel like I've heard that, but I don't know specifics. I've heard this lots of places, too. And it's even mentioned in Downton Abbey. 
Yeah, the Dowager Countess is sitting on her chair and it like suddenly moves. She almost like eats shit. <laughs> and and she says, like, good heavens, what am I sitting on? And the, the guy says, a swivel chair. And she says, Oh, another modern brainwave. And he says, <laughs> I like your impressions thank here. You, thank you. Oh, yeah. I, Maggie Smith and I have a past. I kind of picked it up on it. <laughs> um, and he says, not very modern. They were invented by Thomas Jefferson. And she yeah. says, why does every day involve a fight with an American? <laughs> <laughs> that that sounds more like some kind of Muppet than... Most of my impressions evolve into Muppets. It's a Muppet. Yeah. Who was? It's Grover. You're but doing Grover. <laughs> it could be Grover. It's Maggie Smith or Grover. It's a fine line if you listen to her. Tomato, um, tomato. Miss Piggy. That was Miss Piggy there. <laughs> My my grandmother on my mom's side was a Fraggle, and sometimes <gasps> that comes out. I love Fraggles. Yeah. Fun fun fact: When I was a tiny human, my nickname was Boober because of the <laughs> Fraggles. Oh, <laughs> awesome. that is sweet, Boober. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm kind of happy for you that didn't carry too far. Yeah, I only <laughs> have one friend from school, like growing up, that remembers that, and she still brings it up. I'm pretty sure a couple of years ago. Yeah, it was like four years ago. She gave me a Boober Fraggle dog for my birthday. <laughs> oh, it's like, you're never going to let it die, huh? Yeah, yeah. Nope. there's definitely old friends that bring up things. I'm like, I can't believe you remember that, number one. Number two, this is there's, it's called a pass for a reason, you know? Like, yeah. yeah. There's, a, there's a certain level of friend where if you're not that close with them, and I feel like if they keep bringing up the same thing, like every time you see them every like year or two, you, you just got to like step back and fade away. <laughs> <laughs> that's their way of saying i think i've been that friend to people actually oh, yeah no, right. yeah so i've always wondered if this swivel chair story was true like did he really invent it so i dug into it and the answer is maybe <laughs> um, oh, like so, history on so many levels yes <laughs> in philadelphia right now at the american philosophical society there's a Windsor chair. Jefferson called them stick chairs. And this chair was modified with an iron spindle and some casters from curtains so that it could turn or swivel. The society got that chair from a guy who got it from Jefferson's daughter. Oh. And that guy says that Jefferson's daughter said that Jefferson had it especially built in 1775. And it was the very chair upon which Jefferson's ass spun as he wrote the Declaration <laughs> of Independence. Wow. Oh, yeah. Based on a rumor, a big rumor. Yeah. I mean, we don't, uh, we don't know if it, it's true. We don't know about the timeline. What we do know is that Jefferson spent some years in France not long after that. And we know that in 1790, he and George Washington both ordered swivel chairs from a New York cabinet maker named Thomas Burling. And these were like nice leather barrel chairs with like round mm. seats. You couldn't see the mechanism at all. Washington called it an uncommon chair. And he used it throughout his presidency. He took it home to Mount Vernon. So there's a few possibilities. Maybe Jefferson invented it in 1775. And then he shared his design with his Berlin guy 15 years later. Mm. Maybe he didn't invent anything in 1775, but he saw something similar in France when he was there. And mm -hmm. he brought the design back with him and had this Berlin guy make some. In which case, he just brought the idea to America. Or... <laughs> Thomas Burling designed these chairs on his own, and Jefferson's Declaration chair was really built later. Someone made up that connection maybe to increase its value. That mm. could be the real reason 
mm-hmm. he's credited with inventing the swivel chair. I'll leave, yeah. I'll leave it up to you guys to decide <laughs> what really happened. Yeah, let us know what you think. <laughs> hmm. That makes a lot of sense, though. I think a lot of things in history were kind of exaggerated to give it more value. And he sure. even gave stuff of his own value. Like, he gave, like, a little writing desk thing to, like, a son-in-law or daughter or nephew or something. And he said, you know, I wrote the Declaration of Independence on this. And to some people, it's, it's going to be, like, a sacred relic. So take care of it kind of thing. So if his daughter sold it years after his death, she might have been thinking, hmm, I know how to get some money out of this. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that um, makes the most sense. Yeah. <laughs> the best part of Jefferson's chair, though, is that his enemies gave him shit for it. <laughs> because people kept falling off. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people died. It was um, for yeah. some casualties. They got off the foot of his bed where they were looking at the clothes rack thing, and they just slid <laughs> across on. the floor into the dumb waiter, decapitated. Oh, um, there's definitely it, some final destination stuff. And it kept around. happening. <laughs> no. um, in 1796, when he was running for president against John Adams, one of Adams's supporters put out a pamphlet called, and I got I got to take a deep breath here. The pretensions of Thomas Jefferson to the presidency examined and the charges against John Adams refuted addressed to the citizens of America in general and particularly to the electors of the president. That's the title? That's the title of this pamphlet. And this pamphlet <laughs> what was, was all- in the pamphlet. Is that there could for <laughs> page after page of Thomas Jefferson sucks. Oh. Yeah. The Ye author. Burn. <laughs> yeah. The, the author, William Loughton Smith, he was a representative from South Carolina. His angle was that Jefferson fancied himself a philosopher who would rather spend his time like thinking and doing science rather than taking decisive action like a leader. And that's why he would make a bad president. He wrote, what respect would the officers of government entertain for a president whom they should find on waiting on him for instructions, busily engaging in impaling a butterfly or contriving with assiduous perseverance an easy chair of new construction? (laughs) Would not an attention to these littlenesses make him the ridicule of the world? (laughs) An easy chair is in italics. And there's a footnote, an original 18th century footnote. And that's where the gold is. Oh, no. That wasn't the gold? There's more gold? Oh, gosh. Oh, the suspense. It's killing me in my swivel chair. (laughs) The footnote says... Who has not heard from the secretary the praises of his wonderful whirligig chair, which had the miraculous quality of allowing the person seated in it to turn his head without moving his tail? <laughs> yeah. I don't know what my favorite part is. The fact that they call it a whirligig chair. A whirligig chair, yeah. Or the, the thoughts of turning a torso isolated from a head. <laughs> and oh the thoughts God. that... He brings this up as if Jefferson is like, guys, have you seen my whirligig chair? <laughs> and then the, there's so one odd. more sentence of the footnote. He goes, he goes after his gadgets. The rest of the footnote says, who has not admired his fertile genius in the production of his Epicurean sideboard and other Jim Crackery? <laughs> Why don't we use that anymore? Jim right? Crackery. No. I had to look it up. And, uh, <laughs> like, like 80% of me thought uh, it's not going to be a word. It is. Where it did means you look like, it up? In your Oxford dictionary? I because those are heavy. No, I just looked it up online. Why um, do we have all 20 volumes of those then? Because My computer is sitting on two right now to lift it up a little bit. <laughs> I love it. I love having it. And I look forward to the time when our kids 
are in college and I can just leaf through it. Jim Crackery means cheap, showy things that are like gaudy and tasteless. Oh, and that's our Jefferson. Cool. Like kitsch, kind of? Yeah, sure. Jim Crackery. Jim Crackery. New kitsch. favorite yeah. word. Yeah, yeah, I love it. So I'm going to wind down here with the one thing that everyone agrees that Jefferson actually did invent. It's called the moldboard of least resistance. Oh, what? <laughs> I, I admit I had no idea what that was. Do you guys want to guess just based on the name what that might be? Oh, moldboard? Moldboard. Mold okay. of least resistance? Yeah, M-O-L-D-B-O-A-R-D. This is something that usually has resistance, but this moldboard doesn't have resistance. <laughs> it has less resistance. It has okay. less resistance. Is it some kind of board on a rubber band? Is it related to mold as in mold? <laughs> Oh, is it Fungus? molding for? Yeah, is it? Or, yeah, or, is it or, or, or molding? Ooh, Ooh, like molding of metal. I don't think so. Of iron, <laughs> like when the iron's really hot, they have to mold. They is it like a, a metal mold or a cookie mold? No, um, my guess would have been that a it jello was jello mold. It's a jello mold. It's a jello mold. It's for fruit cakes. <laughs> yeah, Jefferson cakes were all the rage. <laughs> I, I would have guessed like it was some kind of thing for like keeping cheese fresh, but no, not that either. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. Nope. This was part of a plow. Oh. Would not the mold board is the part that like picks up and turns over the dirt that you're cutting into. It like rotates the soil for you. Oh. Yeah. And he made a, a kind that was better at like picking up the heavy, crappy Virginia soil, I guess. Huh. I'm frustrated that I did not guess anything related to farming. I would. I should either. have been. My, I'm very disappointed in myself. I. Yeah. You know what? You shouldn't blame yourself for this. Okay. Yeah. They should have really thought of a better name. <laughs> I mean, I think it, I think it's I a pretty cool name. It's just not back then. People probably knew what a moldboard was, maybe. Probably. But if you don't, it's very confusing. Yes, mm -hmm. I was confused. Jefferson, he thought the existing moldboard sucked, and in 1794, he <laughs> created one that he said was mathematically demonstrated to be perfect. Oh. Some bold words, perfect. Yeah. Mathematically. Yeah. He was, he was, I wouldn't call him humble. Um, <laughs> he won international awards for this thing. Oh. Like a gold medal from the French Society of Agriculture, a commendation from the British Board of Agriculture, an honorary degree from the Italian Agricultural Society. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm not sure how many people actually used his designs, but I know that he refused to patent it. He told someone, you will be at perfect liberty to use the form of the mold board as all the world is, having never thought of monopolizing by patent any useful idea which happens to offer itself to me. Oh, my God. So part of me seems... cannot stand him. <laughs> maybe I'm not. So I, maybe there's a bias. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but that sentiment seems kind of honorable. I mean, it's like it's the polio vaccine or something like I'm not going to patent it. I want everybody to get it. But in a way, it's kind of devastating because if he had patented it, he probably would have made a shit ton of money, which is important if you're like a shopaholic and perpetual crushing debt. Mm. Maybe he would have made enough money to actually emancipate his slaves, which he was um, never able to do for lots of reasons. He probably would have found a way to squander that money too, though. Probably more books. It would have yeah. just been more books. 
I don't think gadgets. I don't think emancipating his slaves was on his priority list. In other words, yeah. So his Whirligig chair, it could turn around so he could face his fancy gadgets like some kind of steampunk asshole. <laughs> <laughs> but he could never turn himself around to face reality. Oh, mm. that was deep. Yeah. Let me pull this out and drop it. <laughs> I'm talking about my mic in case you're not watching this. <laughs> I know podcast mics make it really hard to be dramatic. They're really in there. You just have yeah. to hit it like it's dropping. Boom. All right. <laughs> That's the mic drop in podcasting. Boom. Boom. Yep. Give it a slap. Just knock it over. <laughs> oh, wow. I didn't know about a lot of that. Yeah, I had fun digging into it and watching that Downton Abbey clip. <laughs> <laughs> that was your favorite part of your research. Uh, it was, it was. And then I coming like up with the most Diggy. Yeah, the most redeeming quality of Thomas Jefferson is David Diggs right now, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> He's made him seem so much better in my mind. And I keep on having to tell myself that's not real. Right. Well, the depiction of him, it's quite interesting how we're raised to think he's a hero. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I love his relationship with John Adams and the letters they wrote to each other. Yeah. Because some things were just kind of like off limits if they were going to have a friendship. And I think they brought out interesting sides of each other. Mm -hmm. Well, he was definitely multifaceted, but. Yeah. And so contradictory. It's hard. You can't wrap your head around him, really. Yeah. He's really interesting on a historical standpoint, just because he doesn't fit in any box <laughs> right. he's all over the place and it's hard yeah. to talk about him because you know on one hand it's this figure of america and our mm -hmm. country but then he was so problematic and yeah it, and a lot of times people for many years historians just wanted to forget about all that problematic stuff so now it's really interesting to see everybody trying to rewrite you know revisionist history to tell the truth yeah, yeah. definitely yeah. I think Not. that's so important, you know, yeah, we can, yeah. they can do a lot of good and a lot of bad and you don't have to, you know, ignore one half of that. Mm -hmm. And it makes sense. Like if you're, <clears throat> you're going in this one direction for so long, that is glorifying him mm -hmm. that you want to like correct that. Yeah. Maybe there's going to be some overcorrection where mm -hmm. people are like, we can't even talk about Thomas Jefferson before you get to a point where you can acknowledge like the reality and, and yeah, the terrible things that he did, but also different aspects of his personality and contributions and just, you know, who he was. Yeah. yeah. LeVar Burton, who is just the greatest human of all time. He said <laughs> something and it made so much sense. Everybody's like, oh, cancel culture. We can't say anything. But he's like, no, we live in a time of accountability. Yeah. Accountability mm -hmm. culture. And I'm like, that is so true. It's not that you can't say anything. It's just now we're raising everything to a standard where everybody has to face accountability because you love that like so many people in history had to face any consequences and now everybody does so it's right it's not a personal attack but yeah it's important i know like in grad school we had to talk about and monticello is one of the places we talked about about how historians have to figure out how to tell that history because so much of Monticello yeah. was built on the backs of slaves and yeah you know the atrocities that happened there and people trying to romanticize his relationships and it, mm -hmm. it gets really complicated and they're doing a really good job because they're not sugarcoating it anymore and they're, they're right I mean it's they still got a ways to go but I can imagine the first historian that had to rewrite that tour, you know, to be like, yeah. like right. how do you do that? Like, because people, like you said, are just, he's an American hero and now they're getting mad and 
yeah like jefferson and andrew jackson both like they're they're like molotov cocktails if you drop them into a conversation conversation somewhere on facebook or something Mm because you'll get people with very different sentiments that just go off Mm -hmm. Um, yeah it's it's hard yeah yeah, I've seen yeah. your Facebook posts. Sometimes <laughs> they get wild. Yeah, I don't know who wrote those to bait people, but <laughs> I enjoy it. As soon as I see one, I'm like, drop down in the comments. Yeah. <laughs> Read them all. I remember being on a ferry to Catalina and he was like, whoops. <laughs> I was like, what are you doing on your phone? He's like, it's a shit storm. <laughs> I've started a storm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's just important conversations to have. And it's- oh, yeah. But I love that accountability factor instead of can't. Mm-hmm. I mean, first of all, it's not as negative because mm-hmm. it acknowledges that, like, it's always been there, you know, the racism and it's always yeah. been there. And now it's time to be accountable as opposed to it wasn't there. And now we can't say anything because people are too sensitive. It's just coming from a different mentality. Yeah. No, it's been there. And now we're bringing it up. (laughs) And last, yeah, last month I covered Alice Paul Mm because we were talking about the Women's March. And, you know, some people brought up some interesting things is that she's a symbol of women's suffrage. And she did so much to get the right to vote for white women. Mm -hmm. But she did that at the expense of women of color. So it's like, yes, she's a huge part of history. But she's mm-hmm. also a huge lesson of what not to do today. Right. What we're still fighting for equal rights for everybody. But it's like now we can look at her and be like, yeah, she had some good points. But now we nobody can get rights until everybody has rights and stuff. So it's a way of like right. changing that perspective. You can't for sure you can't excuse the stuff people did and you have to hold them accountable. But you also don't have to be like, oh, we can't talk about them anymore you should still learn about them you just these are steps forward they you know they were all steps forward but it's (laughs) you know you have to look at where what they were lacking what they're missing in order to move forward again Mm -hmm. totally and i enjoy looking at arguing with the perspective that uh these people were just products of their time and looking at well you know there were opponents back then there were people who felt very differently and it, it wasn't just unanimous feeling about one thing We've talked about that on our podcast yeah. before, just how that argument, you know, wreaks havoc in our bodies. Cause it's just like, I, you know, people were against slavery then too. You yeah. know, oh, you know yeah. people definitely acknowledge that it was not humane. Mm-hmm. So it, it, that's not a new idea either. Exactly. And a lot of the characters that were involved with like Alice Paul, like I just had her on my mind. She, mm-hmm felt horrible about it so she knew yeah. what she did was wrong by forcing you know women of color to be in the back of the parade and she segregated mm-hmm. everything and didn't let them in the fight and then just some people can't decide if she did it on purpose politically you know to promise you know southern politicians mm-hmm. that we won't allow them to vote so that we don't upset you so i mean that's possible right. here but it's like a lot of those people, you know, you find out later in their diaries and their families and they've written down like they had regrets because they knew what they were doing was wrong. Right. Mm. And I think Susan yeah. B. Anthony had similar stuff mm-hmm. going on. Yeah. yeah. 2021 for me has been a year of health. I kicked it off last year by getting this test for modern fertility. And when I got my results, which was in nine days, by the way, and I got to do the test at home, I didn't have to wear pants. I found out that I had some wonky stuff going on with my thyroid and my hormone levels. So I was able to print out this detailed report that was gone over by a doctor 
sent it to my doctor and I got a referral to an endocrinologist and I found out like one in 10 other people with ovaries, I have PCOS. I also have some thyroid issues. This was a game changer for me because I knew what was going on in my body. I was able to make steps to make it better. You know, you might be interested in finding out your general health. You might also be interested in finding out more about your fertility, you know, give or take how many eggs you have when you might be going into menopause. You know, these are all questions that are really important when you're making a plan because sadly infertility is so incredibly common. A lot of times we have it in our head that we have time and it will be easy. And then when we get here, we realize, oh shit, it's not that easy. So modern fertility makes it so simple. They send it to your house, you send it back to them, they give you a detailed report, you get one-on-one consultations with people, you are able to be part of a community, you can ask questions. And it just gives you a little bit of peace of mind and it gives you a plan, a plan to go forward, whether or not it's to get healthy or it's to get pregnant. And these tests can be expensive. We're talking in the thousands if you don't have insurance. And even with insurance, sometimes your co-pays are just ridiculous. So by doing modern fertility, you're essentially saving over $800. And if you use my link, you save another $10. So if you go to modernfertility.com slash historical AF, you will save $10 on your order. Again, that is modernfertility.com slash historical AF to save $10. You know what else has changed my life recently? Having a She's Birdie alarm. I go for a walk every single day and I'm lucky that I live in a neighborhood that a full block is about a mile and a half, you know? So I do that every single day. And at the corner is a gas station attached to a tattoo parlor, attached to some weird pavilion thing where a bunch of people just sit around and I think barbecue, not hundred percent sure what that is, but there's always at least five or more people sitting outside staring at me when I walk by and it's giving me anxiety. You know, if you're a person that walks alone, you understand how important it is to feel safe. And I had mace before, but I've mentioned that it's so windy here. I just was afraid to use it because I don't want it to blow back and then hurt myself where I can't run or fight back. And it's just like a whole thing. But having this alarm has made me feel more confident. I know that it is loud enough that I will cause a scene where neighbors are actually going to look out the window and be like, what's going on? Because I have been mugged in the past. And when I was screaming before, I apparently don't scream very loud when I'm scared. And that's a problem I hate having. <laughs> so if you would like to have a She's Birdie alarm as well, you can get 10% off when you use the code historical AF at www.she'sbirdie.com. Again, that is she'sbirdie.com, code historical AF. All right. So I had morbid. And Ooh. listen, I could have covered some really murdery inventions, but <laughs> most of those inventions are so heavy and have so much death. And I yeah. just don't have the mental fortitude for that right now. And I think Aww. those probably deserve their own episode because I was looking at you know, the most morbid inventions. And those were things like the atomic bomb and gas chambers. And those things are so heavy. I just don't know how to navigate that yet. They're important to history, but also really. Yeah. I see what you mean. I see what you mean. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm going to go a little morbid adjacent. We're going to talk about a really badass African-American inventor. And I'm considering morbid because it's just pretty fucked up. Everything that happened around this situation. Just because. All right. America. <laughs> <laughs> and like I said at the beginning, I also managed to mention four presidents just for you. So it's amazing. Oh, I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm going to kick this off with a tiny historical detour. A patent is a government grant to an inventor for an invention. Very, very (laughs) simple. And George Washington, our first president here, signed the first patent law on April 10th, 1790. The law gave patent holders the sole right to make and sell their invention for 14 years. It prevents other people from copying their invention and making money off of it during that time. The Patent Act encourages progress in science by allowing patent holders the right to make a living from their own creativity. To receive a patent, an invention must be a new idea or it contributes something useful from an idea that's already out there. And a patent can't be granted to something that has already been invented, but a patent can be granted if it improves on the existing invention. Patent laws are very complicated. I'm going to be touching on some stuff, but it's, I'm not a, what is it, a, intellectual property expert thing yeah you're not a patent lawyer no (laughs) (laughs) patents can be granted to machines products devices and processes chemical compounds foods drugs and the processes to make these things can also be patented and so patents are really important to what i'm going to talk about so just keep that in mind but we're going to talk about the incredible thomas l jennings have you ever heard of him i have not thomas jennings i don't think so did he make something called a jenny no. Then nope. This dude is so cool. And I am so disappointed that I've never heard of him. So I'm really excited. So he was the first African-American person to receive a patent in the United States. Oh, so wow. that's kind of like his original claim to history. But his whole life is just phenomenal. It should be noted that while Henry Blair is sometimes credited as the first identified as black by the U.S. Patent Office, historians agree that Jennings was the actual first patent holder because they didn't fill out the patent. I don't want to say forms. Like demographic really. information? or Yeah, they didn't write anything on them, the original ones. It's mm. the same thing. It's really hard for historians to figure out who is you know, women because it didn't say. It was just numbers mm. and stuff back then. So Henry was a second, but his invention was a seed planter. So just so you know. So Jennings was born in 1791 in New York City. According to the Inventive Spirit of African Americans by Patricia Carter, oh gosh, Slooby, Slubby. Either way, I feel like I'm saying that horribly wrong. (laughs) It's not a good way to pronounce that. (laughs) I'm so sorry. (laughs) Yes. She says that Jennings started out as an apprentice to a prominent New York tailor. His mad skills were legendary and people were traveling from all over to see him because he was just amazing at altering and custom tailoring clothing for people. Hmm. And then his reputation helped him later open what would be a very successful clothing shop in Lower Manhattan on Church Street. And he was so successful that at one point he had the largest store in New York City. Wow. Wow. In New York City. Yeah. Yeah. And like the great inventors of history, he saw a problem and set out to solve it. He found that many of his customers were understandably pretty bummed out about their clothes because they'd get these fancy fabrics and then they become dirty and they couldn't wash them with conventional means because it was a death sentence to that fabric. So if you can see where I'm going. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) my gosh. (laughs) At this point, you had two choices. Either continue to wear it dirty or throw it away. And while throwing away clothes would have been good for him because people would have been ordering more, he was really upset to see people throwing out all his hard work. He'd worked so hard making this stuff for them. 
So right. he went to work experimenting on different solutions and cleaning agents, and he tested them on all these different types of fabric. And boom, he found the right combination and created a method he called dry scouring, which is dry cleaning today. Nice. <laughs> awesome. I was thinking right. it's got to lead there. Life is funny. I didn't wake up that day I wrote my notes and been like, dry cleaning is going to blow my mind. <laughs> but here we are. <laughs> like, this is so interesting. So he filed for a patent in 1820 and he was granted for dry scouring in the process completely done within a year. And this is four years before Paris Taylor Jean-Baptiste Jolie-Bélin, I think I'm saying that right, refined his own chemical technique and established what many claim to be the first cleaning business. So a lot of times he's getting credit in history as being the first dry cleaning. But oh. this was four years before that. Hmm. Oh. And while people did object to an African-American receiving a patent, Jennings was a free man, therefore technically by law an American citizen. And citizenship was important since the law in the 1793 required inventors seeking U.S. patents to sign a patent oath that attested they were citizens. Since he was technically a citizen, they couldn't question it. And that's mm. probably also why he didn't say African-American on his patent because that right. point, yeah. he didn't need to. While there were obviously some provisions at this time that would allow an enslaved person to possibly use this patent protection, the ability for a slave to seek out and receive or defend a patent was really unlikely. Mm. It just The whole system was just yeah. set out to make things very difficult. Big roadblocks. And eventually this is going to become impossible. And we're going to circle back to that in a little bit. Mm. Slooby, slubby. Uh, either way is horrible. I'm so sorry. How's this spell? <laughs> I, I want to take a crack. S L U B Y. Slooby. Slooby. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it needs an extra letter in there. It somewhere. does. It does. Yeah. I feel. I feel like I'm right, but I don't want to be I think right. Slooby. I would go with Slooby. Slooby. So. That person writes that Jennings <laughs> was so proud of his patent letter that was signed by the Secretary of State, which was John Quincy Adams. He mm. actually hanged it in a gilded frame above his bed. He was just so proud of it. Oh. I just find that oh. <laughs> so eventually Jennings married a woman named Elizabeth and had three children. There was Matilda, who was a dressmaker, and then Elizabeth and James, who were both school teachers. And all the children were incredibly educated. They were all very successful in their careers. And they also became very prominent in the abolition movement. Oh, cool. So Jennings spent the first money he made from this patent on legal fees to buy his family out of enslavement. His entire family. That's amazing. Awesome. Right? And then that a large... Those are priorities. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, when you make money, that's a good use of it. <laughs> right. Yeah. And he was making bank, too. He made lots of money from this patent. He was able to take care of himself, his family, everything. And then the rest of the money he was sending out to fight for abolition. So he was funding all these groups. He would go on to found or support a number of charities and legal aid societies, as well as freedom journals, the first Black-owned newspaper in America. And then he was also um, influential in the Abyssinian Baptist Church in Harlem. How does this guy have time for all this? I, I mean, know, right? This business, he's doing patent paperwork. I mean, how long founding churches? How are you doing? All like this? now, you can get like dry cleaning like same day if you like pay enough. Like maybe it took like weeks <laughs> back then, and he had a lot of free time. Maybe. Oh, I do have a picture of it. He's freeing his family, founding churches. Over how long? I mean, was this over the course of like 50 years? The money part was very fast. It was the first paycheck, essentially. Oh, wow. 
So that's him, and then that's the invention. Oh, how oh, cool. cool. Oh. It kind of looks like a tiny tanning bed. It does. <laughs> For clothing. Yeah. yeah I feel like those still exist in dry cleaners. I've seen it does. those. It does look really similar. It's I can't see into the back of a dry cleaner. It's clothes everywhere. It's so it's fascinating clothes, clothes, if you clothes, peek clothes. back there. You haven't seen like those large padded pressers no, i see clothes looking up i see clothes looking sideways i don't maybe i don't notice things and this is why when i'm at the doctor's <laughs> office I, I wander aimlessly with my own urine i'm just not very observant i don't know i've definitely stood there long enough where i've taken a peek at some of the contraptions back there if i'm not hypnotized by the clothes on the the rotating That's wheel the thing, thing yeah. sometimes oh, i get yeah. hypnotized by that i'm like whoa look at it go <laughs> That's true. i think the only thing i actually take to the dry cleaners is his blues for the military. So in 1831, he became the assistant secretary for the first annual convention of people of color in Philadelphia. So he's really just moving up there in this abolition movement. He was active on issues relating to immigration as well to other countries. He opposed colonization in Africa as proposed by the American Colonization Society and supported the expansion of suffrage for African-American men. He was really involved in all these huge movements that I didn't realize were so big in the, the early 1800s. Does it also kind mm-hmm. of depress you that we've been working towards interracial <sighs> justices that long? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Like it's taking forever. Yeah. The reconstruction. There's so many. Yeah. So many steps along the way that could have been better. One step forward was there were still like three steps back. Exactly. Yeah. Most of the voting rights stuff it was in the sixties, nineteen sixties. That yeah. just blows my yeah. mind. And, and it's still the whole system is made to make everything difficult. It's uh, it does. So Thomas Jennings died in New York City in 1856. Shortly before his death, his daughter Elizabeth won a benchmark lawsuit. This is insane. I cannot believe I've never heard of this either. I'm just so excited to share this. All right. (laughs) right. So on Sunday, July 16th, 1854, Elizabeth Jennings, a teacher, set off to go to church because she was an organist. She was running late and she boarded a streetcar of the Third Avenue Railroad Company at the corner of Pearl and Chatham Streets. The conductor ordered her to get off. When she refused, the conductor tried to remove her by force. And she was like, not today. Fuck you. <laughs> so she held on to the window frame as he's trying to forcibly remove her, like throw her out the window. She wouldn't let go. She's just hanging there. And Why was he trying to forcibly remove her? Because of her race? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Just trying it was segregated and she was just okay. fed up and was like, I'm late. I'm I got to get this. here. I'm done with your shit. And, he and this it. wasn't yeah. like Birmingham. This was New York. You said New right? York. Yeah. yeah. New York. Wow. So she's holding on. He's getting mad. And eventually a police officer shows up and she's ejected from the streetcar. She is injured by all accounts. Like they were very aggressive and it was it was a a scene. A lot of people watched it. So a letter she wrote about the incident was published in several abolitionist papers. And her story was also publicized by Frederick Douglass himself. Wow. She decided Fuck this. And filed a lawsuit with the Brooklyn court against the driver, the conductor, and the railroad company. And because her daddy had all that money and prominence, she was able to obtain best legal representation and hired a law firm of Culver, Parker, and Arthur to sue the bus company and was represented in court by a young attorney named Chester Arthur. 
They're my next president. Nice. Like, how does she what? even the connections? So many different connections. Yeah. And yeah, he was 21st president of the United States. And the case was successful. They oh won. Wow. Oh, that's amazing. Like, and the judge ruled that it would be unlawful to eject black people from public transportation so long as they were sober, well behaved, and free from disease. Oh my goodness. <sighs> we'll but, take it. There's more, though. The jury awarded damages in the amount of $225, which is $7,094 and then 92 cents today, and then also $22.50 in cost, and that's $709 in cost today. So I feel like okay. that's a pretty, I mean, not enough for being like, it's something, injured, I mean, but yeah. I mean, still a, more than I would expect. And right? the victory in principle, too. Like, that's exactly. huge. Exactly. This time Absolutely. in history. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This time in history, I would not have expected that. Yeah. 1854 to get $7,000 equivalent. That's yeah. And to change laws, you know, about yes. the transportation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the next day, the railroad company ordered its cars to desegregate. Mm. Wow. This is such a landmark case, and I can't believe I've never heard of it. It's And what was the year again? I'm sorry. 1854. Wow. Yeah, they must not have like appealed then. They must have just gone mm-hmm. with it, mm-hmm. which is smart and good on their case. But often you hear about these things just being appealed until it gets to the Supreme Court. But I'm glad it didn't go that far. Yeah. And that same year, Jennings was one of the founders of the Legal Rights Association. It was a group that organized challenges to discrimination, segregation, and gained legal representation to take cases to court. Wow. So she just starts funding these organizations to help other people fight these injustices these similar yeah that's awesome it's amazing and a decade after this court case was won, all new york city streetcar companies stopped practicing segregation oh my gosh so of course i mean it is the north northern area of the united states so right I, i knew that segregation wasn't happening at that point but i didn't know why i didn't know that it started I guess I never really realized that New York was segregated to begin with, which I feel kind of ashamed. I didn't know that. But Yeah, I guess I didn't think about when I think about segregation, I think about the South and I think about like the 1960s. Exactly. I don't think about 90 years earlier than that in the North. It just, yeah. Exactly. I, it hadn't even occurred to me. I'm so glad yeah. I stumbled on this. <sighs> Jennings and his daughter had a hand in the effort to de- desegregate public facilities, a movement that lasted well into the civil rights era mm-hmm. centuries later. Tragically, though, the we're back to the patent. Tragically, the original patent was lost in a fire, which oh. is such a tragedy. I, oh, I hate it. So they had actually moved it along with 10,000 others, give or take, to a hotel, the Blodgett Hotel. I think that's how you say that. And they moved it there because they were building a new facility. So they thought, oh, we'll put it in this hotel. It's going to be safe. But then the hotel caught on fire. And Mm -hmm. even though it was located right next to a fire station, it was the winter and the cold cracked their hoses. So they couldn't put out the fire. Do they didn't have a copy of this thing somewhere? Like over his bed? (laughs) Probably the copy he had. But as far as the original from the patent office, they did not have that they were able to save some of them but the way they said is at this point they weren't cataloged by their name and issue date so a lot of them had an x so they're called like the ten thousand xers or something x files (laughs) yeah kind of like that so they've been 
all the numbers had an X at the end of them. So they've been able trying to match them up with some people, but they've never been able to, as a 2004, oh. they still hadn't discovered his or reconstructed it. And though free black Americans like Jennings were free to patent their inventions in practice, obtaining a patent was difficult and expensive. Some black inventors hid their race to avoid discrimination. Others used their white partners as proxies there's a lot of research. Brian L. Fry, a professor at the University of Kentucky College of Law, has been studying this. And he talks about how difficult it is to know how many African-Americans were actually involved in patents because you have, you know, white people stealing ideas. You had black inventors mm. not capable of patenting so or pretending they're somebody else. So it's really hard to find what actually happened. And right. We sat together. That would be really hard to try to figure out. Find that trail when it's been yeah. hidden on purpose. <laughs> yeah. And if a white person were to infringe on a black inventor's patent, it, it would have been really hard to fight back. There's mm. really, there's no power there. The legal system was biased against black inventors and the whole system, financially, everything was to benefit the white inventor or people stealing it and also you need capital to defend your patent and a lot of black inventors just did not have access to capital so it's really it's just tragic it's it really is and it's likely that a lot of slave owners secretly patented their slaves inventions in 1857 the dred scott decision happened and it effectively denied black americans any citizenship at all because that oath required you to be a citizen to have a patent that meant that this stripped any chance of black inventors being able to get a patent at this point. Mm. So discouraging. <laughs> and one case in particular kind of shows how all this changed. It's from the same year. So 1857, an enslaved man known only to history as Ned invented a double plow and scraper. And it enabled a farmer to plow and scrape both sides of a row of cotton simultaneously. Everything I read said it went from, you know, 20 you know animals and people down to like five so it saves time it was just ingenious idea so ned's enslaver was oscar jr stewart he was a lawyer a planner and just like the human embodiment of excrement horrible anytime (laughs) you have middle initial like more than one middle initial (laughs) it's a bit much yeah he's literally the worst it made my blood pressure Everything I read about him, I was just getting so angry. So he decides he's going to patent this invention. So the first time that he submits it, he puts Ned as the inventor. Because Ned was enslaved, he was not a citizen. Therefore, because of the patent laws, they wouldn't accept it. This dude is just the worst. And he starts throwing this big tantrum and he starts writing these letters to all his friends that are in politics and have money and stuff. And he's like, quote, this would violate equal protection if slave owners could not patent the inventions of their slaves. <sighs> so he says a whole so lot worse. So he's saying that he's being personally attacked because he can't steal. This not equal. Idea. I can't steal their inventions. Yes. Yeah, it, it sounds like the system is unfair, but not in the way that he's calling it out. Yes, this guy had no clue. The entitlement is so, oh, so bad. White so privilege. Oh, yes. And he's so slimy. So he Ugh. calls all his buddies and he tries again. But this time they're like, hey, we 
the law is the law and you didn't invent it and he's not a citizen. Therefore, we're not giving it to you. So he throws this epic tantrum, throwing stuff, screaming, whatever. And then he's just basically like, fuck you. I'm going to sell it anyway. So he starts mass producing this invention without patent protection, but he doesn't care because he's making a ton of money. But he starts advertising it that it was made by Ned. The um, language is horrifying and I can't repeat it, but it's mm. the most disgusting thing I've ever said. And during that time, the abolitionists had different angles they were going. And one of them was that slavery impacted the mental health. Well, they didn't call it that back then, but essentially it just stunted their mental health growth and it was so hard on them. And it was like a thing like, we can't let people be like that. So his main advertisement was this guy, my enslaved person created this invention. Look how smart he is. These people are wrong. So he was using Mm -hmm. this as a way to fight the abolitionists by like, look how smart he is. He invented this thing. And Uh, it's so heartbreaking because it was like the equivalent of a billboard just bragging about the the atrocities he's committing. It's weird. Like, I mean, I don't, why wouldn't he just lie and, and claim it all? I mean, it seems like he could have just stolen the idea. And never even tried to credit Ned. Yeah. And I'm sure most, you know, enslavers did that. There's only two on record that went through this process and actually were like bragging about stealing it. Yeah. I mean, I think about Phyllis Wheatley, the African-American poet. Mm -hmm. I mean, she was seven years old when she arrived in the U.S. And when she was purchased, it didn't take long for her owners to see that she was very curious and like had a affinity for language they taught her how to read taught her how to write and she became like a famous poet and it was she this panel of 18 people even had to like come and investigate just to prove that it was her that was capable of writing these poems Mm. and she was kind of used in this way of like almost like a freak show type thing of like look at this slave girl who who has this talent and she was still enslaved while Mm -hmm. this was happening but yeah it just reminds me of how how some of the um, enslaved people were were used for their talents in a way that their owners could make money off of or mm-hmm. like, oh, I found another way I can exploit them and, yes. and make even more off of them knowing that they won't receive any of it. So this actually became a case. It was Stewart versus Ned. And in 1858, the U.S. Patent Office officially changed the regulations to reflect Dred Scott decision of citizenship. They're not citizens, therefore they can't take the oath, therefore there's no exceptions, doesn't matter. Sources are weird. So this is why I'm always a huge advocate of always triple-checking sources, because if you see something that seems weird, always double-check, because I saw all these sources talking about, like, the Confederacy are the ones that changed this. And I was like, well, that doesn't sound right. Why would the (laughs) Confederacy do this? So I figured out why. Jefferson Davis had a brother that had an enslaved man named Benjamin Montgomery. And he invented this brilliant idea for a propeller that replaced steamboat paddle wheels. And they wanted to patent it because they wanted to make the money. So that's mm-hmm. why they changed the law. Because uh, while they were part of the United States, they couldn't patent it. They couldn't profit off of him. But the second the South broke away, Davis was like, fuck yeah, I'm changing it. And they made it so that they could patent their slaves inventions. The way some of these sources were wording it, it was like things didn't change until the Confederacy. And I'm like, well, let's back up a minute. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what now? Let's not act like this is a good thing. Because now, <laughs> you're just, 
you know, taking advantage <laughs> of these people again. Right. And then although former barriers to the patent system were removed with abolition of slavery and the passage of the 14th Amendment, which guarantees citizenship to anyone born in the United States, studies show that black inventors continue to face legal and societal obstacles even today. And this is from Bloomberg. Why can't I talk? Bloomberg Law. <laughs> Quote, Lisa Cook, an economics professor at Michigan State, linked declines in African-American patenting to race riots and acts of violence, including the decimation of once thriving black businesses. Communities like Tulsa, Oklahoma, in 1921, mm. when the white racist mob killed hundreds of black residents. Segregation laws also made it harder for blacks to patent their inventions. The offices of patent attorneys were all white at the time. So if you're segregated, you couldn't go to them. You like physically could not get a patent. Right. There were also commercial districts hindering African-American inventors from applying for any kind of help for a patent. Essentially, African-Americans found it impossible to fight for patent infringement, even if they had a white attorney and even if they had money. Even if you had the access to help, they still had it so locked down that there was just no hope. To this yeah. day, there's a gap between white inventors and minorities. Half as many African-American and Hispanic college graduates hold patents compared to whites at the same mm. level of education. And wow. there's likely a lot of different reasons for that. Right. One would be money. The cost of getting a patent can be in the thousands. Mm -hmm. And then you have unequal access to capital. So it's a lot harder, you know, if you've ever researched redlining and how banks work and how... The whole structure is made right. to make it so much more difficult. It's a lot right. harder to get loans. And there's a lack of exposure to the patent system for gener like decades. The system for patents has not allowed minorities to even have access. So even now they technically do. It's still there's no way for them to even know how it works. You know, marginalized communities are already struggling. And then you're adding extra barriers. Right. And back yeah. then, it seemed like they were much more blatant. And now it's like they're there, but in a more secretive way. And it's just yeah. like passive aggressive. And the people that are making it difficult are like, you have all the same things we do. But no, no. it's not. It, <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. And education, not only is there unequal access to education, especially in STEM fields, mm -hmm. you know, it shows that you know, especially minority students that enter STEM programs end up changing majors or mm. they leave college. So it's a lot harder to get into the careers that lead to the patents. Mm -hmm. And Janaea Griffin, who works with consulting firms researching this inequality, believes that our society only celebrates inventors like Bell and Edison and Tesla. And she says kids aren't growing up seeing themselves in these roles. So if right. you think about like I've barely yeah. heard of a lot of you know african-american inventors so if you're a kid looking for somebody like you and you're not learning about these people you know what's there to inspire you you know it's, right you're so. automatically funneled into a different mm -hmm. category exactly. and i think that if everybody knew about jennings and all these other inventors and they could see themselves being like that'd be cool i want to be like that maybe they'd right. be more inclined to go into stem fields and mm -hmm. to, but if you don't even know it's an option you know, right. It, it really makes it a lot harder. And whatever the reason is for the gap, it's very clear that it's a really a loss for society as a whole, because you're preventing so many people from access to do great things. And there's a really great quote from Petra Moser. She's a professor of economics in New York. Quote, invention requires a rare set of talents, 
Let's call them creativity, intelligence, and resilience. When you ignore the entire pool of non-white, non-male inventors, it's a huge waste to say the least. Yeah, we we all lose. We all lose. Exactly. There's no telling what we could have that could be world-changing, you know, if everybody had access to what they need to make that. So just to end it here, you know, despite all these barriers, African-Americans, both enslaved and free, invented an enormous number of technologies, things that have just changed the world. So I'm just going to quickly go over a couple of more cool, badass people that you should probably know about. Yeah. Yeah. So the first African-American woman to receive a patent is a little bit more difficult to differentiate. Martha Jones of Amelia County, Virginia, is believed by many to be the first black woman to receive a patent. Her application for the improvement of the corn husker sheller was granted uh-huh. in 1868. Jones claimed her invention could husk, shell, cut up, and separate husks from corn in one operation. And it was a huge step forward for automation of agricultural processes, which was huge for this country, especially yeah. since half of our country is based in agriculture. Right. That's why I couldn't believe I didn't guess about the the more- yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it seems like most patents are are for farm equipment. Is what it I'm does seem getting. like. That. Yeah, I mean that's what that the manual labor of it. You know, yeah. makes sense that you'd want to make that easier. Yeah, to make it least resistive. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, I mean that goes along with the history of slavery and everything. And right, yeah, right. And for there. a long time, they thought Judy W. Reed was considered to be the first woman to have the patent african-american woman and her patent was the dough kneader and roller but now they believe that she was actually the third after okay uh, jones that we just talked about and then mary joan de leon i don't know uh-huh. if I'm <laughs> gonna say it like that <laughs> and she actually invented the cooking apparatus which oh. is the precursor to the steam tables we use in buffets to keep food warm yeah, yeah. Okay. that's pretty cool. cool. So, of those helpful. three, they're the first three, but the order is sometimes a little fuzzy. But mm. the most current information does think that Jones is the first. And what was the third invention? The the don eater. What was that? What is that? Yeah, don eater and roller. So it would just be like a. I don't know if you made noodles where you put the dough in there and it. Oh, really not dough. like noodle dough. Yeah. Okay. Oh, a dough kneader. Like yeah. kneading dough. Oh, a dough yeah. eater. Okay. I, I was would... hearing like don't eater. Oh, me too. <laughs> yeah. Don't yeah. eater. Is that like something with like a parking meter? Yeah, I mean, you used what? to have like to ha- used to have to have all your friends over to eat a don't, but this you can do <laughs> yourself. Uh, that's just my lack of ability to pronunciate. No. <laughs> no. no. That's our yeah. We think in terms of eating. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Uh, so the next one is Benjamin Benecker. I think that's how you say mm-hmm. it. And he was a self-taught mathematician and surveyor. And when mm-hmm. he was 21, he was shown a pocket watch and was kind of fascinated by it. And a friend actually loaned it to him and he you know, messed with it and studied it. And eventually he built his own timepiece. So about a year later, he invented a clock out of wood that struck a gong on the hour and kept time to the second, which oh, is cool. really nice. impressive. That's incredibly hard to do i would imagine and the clock that he built kept time for 40 years 
Oh my god! Like I can't even imagine that's anything. durability. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even tell time sometimes. <laughs> I just, let alone get things to work to the second. I mean, that's yeah. that's amazing. It's incredible. And then in 1792, he completed the first almanac. He called it the Benecker's Almanac, and it was really important in 18th century because it told exactly when the sun came up in the morning, when it would set at night, and he listed time to or, or tide not timetable, tide tables, dates of lunar and solar mm. eclipses, holidays, phases of the moon. And farmers were using that because it was incredibly helpful. And so he yeah. gave his first edition of his almanac to Thomas Jefferson. Oh, oh my gosh. Well, full circle that's moment there. Interesting. Nice. Yes. That's very, that's complicated. Yeah. And here is the, I have so many feelings about that. Exactly. <laughs> it's going to get worse. So he called on no. Jefferson to give black men and women equal rights and to fight against prejudice. And he that failed. was so, quote, prevalent in the world against those of my complexion, a race of beings who have long labored under the abuse and censor of the world. Jefferson replied to him, writing, quote, Nature has given to our black brethren talents equal to those of other colors of man, end quote. But it was still 59 years after Whoa. his death. That's Jefferson said that? Yeah. yeah. So he's like, I agree. You're so talented. I support this. But he didn't do it. And, yeah, and period. <laughs> yeah, at the same time, or a few years earlier, Jefferson was writing that he thought that black people were inferior based on an invention of his, a scientific basis for racism that said that they smelled worse than white people, that they weren't capable of love or poetry, that black men uh, lusted after white women in the way that orangutans lusted after black women. Mm -hmm. uh, it was disgusting. So disgusting. Yeah. And yeah, so the idea that he would say something about equality to someone just kind of speaks to his... Hypocrisy. Um, hypocrisy and lies yeah. He, yeah he said his talent was equal to his essentially it doesn't it doesn't add up i don't mm. he, he i think he was a mouthpiece at times just like blah 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 you know whatever mm -hmm. sounded good in the moment yeah yeah it's a shame too because he probably thought that he had him in his corner and he was gonna help them fight for equality and he probably had no idea that he was just screwed um, yeah because <laughs> it was just in his lifetime not even a possibility it's just so sad yeah yeah that is really disheartening so james fortin was born in philadelphia pennsylvania and lived there most of his life he served in the u.s navy during the revolutionary war he was captured and imprisoned by the british and was offered his freedom if he agreed to live in england fortin replied quote i'm here a prisoner for the liberties of my country I never prove a traitor to her interests. Hmm. It just breaks my heart because this has happened more than once in accounts where they get captured and they're like, no, you know, this is my country. I'm going to fight for it for a country that would never fight for them back. Right. And it's so yeah. infuriating. And yeah. after the war, he was apprenticed to a sailmaker and he quickly learned the trade and developed a patent for a device to handle ship sails, which made him very wealthy. And he used his money to advocate for women's rights as well as wow. slavery. Nice. That's nice. So that's a cool dude. And that's then we got early too. <laughs> really early. Yeah, yeah. Super early. And George Peake also fought in the Revolutionary War. He was the first African-American to be part of the settlement that eventually became Cleveland, Ohio. At this time, Ohio was largely unsettled frontier in the western part of the United States. 
He invented a hand mill for grinding corn, and this was made out of two round stones, approximately 48 centimeters, 19 inches wide. And the invention was easier to use than the traditional mortar and pestle, and it ground it really smoothly. Although he didn't actually patent this invention, he received credit for it in the November 8th, 1858 issue of the newspaper Cleveland Leader. So I also found that really interesting. Like, yeah. there's no patent that protected him, but right. people still gave him credit. And he still had success with it. Yeah. Yeah. Which, again, this is really early. And I am I was shocked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, you know, people would give him credit. 1858? Yeah, that's like, amazing. I mean, he really put his nose to the grindstone. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that was a good way to invent <laughs> helping. <laughs> yeah. And there's so many more inventors, but that was just like a little handful. But yeah. It's and I didn't so know about any of them. Yeah, me either. And I just not everybody has the publicity apparatus that a Thomas Edison does because half mm-hmm. of what he did was selling himself. Yeah. And that gets into the history books and it permeates mm-hmm. itself in a way that makes you think he must have been that great. Yeah. yeah. He was a marketing genius, and that was Pretty much, he admitted that, that it was all about marketing. Because the one time he invented something that nobody wanted, he was like, well, I'm never going to invent something that doesn't have a market anymore. Like, right. He knew what he was doing. Mm. There's been so many more inventions, even in modern history, that were stolen or they didn't get credit or people accused them of stealing it from somebody else, even though they had the idea first. And it's just. Wow. It's hard to track ideas, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> through history. It's really yeah. hard to track ideas. Well, I'll let you guys go. It's getting late yeah. here. Yeah, this was so much fun. It was. Thank you so much, Kina. Oh, you're welcome. Real quick before we go, tell everybody how to find the podcast. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, you can go to plodpod.com. Uh, we're on Apple. We're on Spotify. We're everywhere. Uh, plotting through the presidents. Our season three is going to be coming up a little later this spring. Uh, yeah, I guess uh, follow us and plot along with us yes yeah Uh, that was it i don't have anything in the ads (laughs) (laughs) he covered it (laughs) thanks so much thank you i would like to thank my guests plotting through the presidents again for joining me i had an amazing time you guys are hilarious and i always just have the best time hanging out with you Definitely go check out their podcast. You won't regret it. They have a new season coming soon. So plenty of time to binge the first two seasons. All right. You ready for some shameless plugs? I got a new one. I'm going to shake it up a little bit. (laughs) I am obsessed with coffee. It is my lifeblood. It gets me functioning. I drink coffee in the morning until it's hot. And then I switch to iced coffee. It's probably a legitimate problem, but a good problem to have. So I stumbled upon Bones Coffee because of the artwork and I'm absolutely obsessed that they had a white Russian flavor that had the dude, but he was a skeleton. And that was really the only reason I got it. And it turns out it's freaking delicious. And I had to buy all of them. And I did a bunch of little sample packs to try everything. Zero regrets. It's all delicious. And I loved it so much that I became an affiliate. So that just means that if you're going to buy coffee anyway and you use my link, the podcast gets a little bit of a commission and that will just help keep things running, you know? So next time you're in the market for some coffee, go to linktr.ee slash historicalafpod and click the link for Buy Bones Coffee and help the pod. And using that link will help me out. You know what else really helps keep this podcast going and keeps it alive? That'd be Patreon. That's patreon.com slash historicalafpod. 
There are tiers from $2 to $20, and each tier you get more and more stuff. So a basic tier, you get extra episodes, you get access to the live streams where you can comment along, watch everything unedited, blooper filled, get to talk to the guests. As the tiers go up, you get things like merch, quarterly gifts, mail, postcards, you get to choose stories, get to choose the random word. There's just so much. Again, go to patreon.com slash historical AF to check that out. We do have a new perk. Listen, we're kind of obsessed with TikTok, and I kept on seeing all these people wearing crowns, and then in my depression shopping, I decided I needed a crown or two, and then it dawned on us, because a lot of other people on Patreon have crowns too, that we should just dress up, wear our crowns, and have a tea party. So that is going to happen, and the crowns are on Amazon for under 20 bucks. They're not expensive, which is very surprising to me, because they're so nice. Anywho, we're going to just have a tea party. We're going to dress up zoom each other and just have a great time and feel like the queens, kings, and the emperors we are. If you'd like to buy merch, that is shop.spreadshirt.com slash historical AF pod. And you can also go to etsy.com slash shop slash Kina's creations. And that's creations with a K for things that are not on there, like koozies and beer glasses and wine glasses and the such. And that's going to be updated very soon with some more stuff. Stay tuned. You can follow the social media. That's historical AF pod across the board, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And every time there's a sale, like 10 to 20% off, it'll be on there. I need your emails. If you would like to send in a story, a family history, town legend, you know, a ghosty you've encountered, your favorite, your favorite historical nugget, your favorite historical site. I mean, it could be anything. Send that into historicalafpod at gmail.com and I will feature you in the next extra AF. And if you happen to have a podcast or a business or crafts, wares you're selling, please put that in there too. And I would love to shout you out. All right, friends, I'll see you next week. My guest will be for the Love of History podcast coming all the way from Japan for Inventions Part 3. Okay, bye.